there are 76 million of us just here in the US. We are the biggest generation that ever existed. We were called the me ones, the crazy ones, and boy, do we know what that means, don't we? In fact, we have reinvented every single phase of our life. We were the yuppies, we were the hippies. We like innovation. Well, now we are in the winter of our life. And I can assure you, this is not going to be your average winter. I invite you to join me at Boomerology Revealed every single week so we can figure out how boomers are reshaping this phase of their lives. Join me. This episode of Boomerology Revealed is brought to you by Standard, your best option for mobility products. Be independent with Standard.com. Welcome to Boomerology Revealed. I'm Shahar, your host. In the next 20 minutes, we are going to visit Comic-Con. Yes, a conference about comics. Remember, a lot of superheroes were actually created by boomers. And this is a fun activity that you can do with your family. Plus, I got to interview my biggest idol, Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees. Let's watch. So when I was young, I was crazy for comic books. I would go all the time. Actually, I would beg my mother and my father to take me to a newsstand. That's where they were sold to get me some comic books. I liked Batman the most because, you know, he really has no superpower. He has to use his brain to solve the problem. Superboy, Thor, Hulk, they were some of my favorite. I really enjoy comic books. Today, I'm here at Comic-Con in Salt Lake City. They have 100,000 people attending. It's a, comics today are also a huge part part of this generation of the pop culture, just like they were in our time. You know, a lot of heroes were created by boomers, and it's so cool to see how this generation now really likes and enjoys. It's fantastic, and I'm going to show you about the show and about the artists in here. Let's watch. Go to start Comic Con in Salt Lake City. Started because I actually attended Comic Con in other cities, and uh, as I saw how fun they were, I thought, "Why? Well, why don't we bring that here to Utah?" And I live here, so it for me it was just a natural step. Did you ever really expected the success and the attendance you had in the first one? And I heard this year is close to a hundred thousand. That's what we're expecting, close to a hundred thousand. My uh, our expectations when we started it out for the last time were between eight to fifteen thousand people is what we anticipated. So we got up to over 70,000 people. So it, it definitely blew away our expectations. How is your favorite hero or comic hero? I, I love so many of them, but people always ask me Marvel or DC. And I, I will say I'm slightly, you know, 51% Marvel, 49% DC. This cutie pie here. How you doing? Yes. He told me there are some very fun things to do here at Comic Con, right? Yeah. And I think he will invite me to go on a date.
100,000 people, from toddler to grandpa. You see very often the whole family here together, all having a lot of funds, maybe from memories from the past and maybe, maybe from new memories being made right now. It's a fantastic thing because those characters, those superheroes, they unite the families and that's a very good thing. But I want you to notice another thing that you always have to think about the two sides of any statement you see out there. Because today, you're going to see that people say boomers are collectors. We like memorabilia. We like to collect salt shakers. It's part of our generation. But they also say that the millennials, they're not collectors. They don't buy this kind of stuff. And you can see right here how this is not true. You know, as long as they have a passion for something, they are willing to collect items related to that. And that's a very cool thing. So, you are a family at Comic-Con, right? Who here is really crazy about comics? Um, well... You or me or everybody? We're kind of all. Yeah. What's your favorite hero? Well, my favorite hero would probably be Spider-Man. Spider-Man, I like that one. What about you? I'm, I'm actually Star Wars and Walking Dead here for today. <laughs> you know, you're here as a family, so can you tell me why this kind of experience is cool? coming together? Well, everybody gets to dress up and it's just fun to be with like-minded people and to see the excitement of fans and actors. It's just a fun family adventure. Joe, what, what character do you have on? This is the Borg from uh, Star Trek Next Generation and a few of the other Star Treks. You're not exactly a child, right? But it looks... I'm this weekend. <laughs> cool. What do you think are, is really the importance of superheroes for kids today? Uh, just someone to look up to, uh, someone to kind of help teach them right from wrong, bad and evil. I'm a... I don't know. I guess you could call it a zombie. Okay. Is this the first time you're doing cosplay? No, I've been doing it for a long time. And what do you like about it? Um, I just like dressing up and I like spending money. Tom Cook, you were a cartoon animator, correct? Yeah, I was an animator for about 35 years. Worked at Hanna-Barbera, Filmation, a few other studios as well. Tell me some of the pieces that you worked on. Well, let's see. I worked on. Uh, I started out working on Challenge of Super Friends, uh, Scooby Doo, uh, Fred and Barney Show, which was a Flintstones, um, He Man and the Masters of the Universe, uh, She-Ra, Princess of Power. Um, boy, lots. What do you see that is different in the industry comparing 35 years ago to now? Well, nowadays most of the work is all done overseas. So there's not a whole lot of studios left in the U.S. Uh, when I started, there were six major TV studios. Within three years, there was one. Then I got into directing and directed things like King of the Hill, uh, Duckman, and a bunch of other TV series as well. And now, of course, everything's done on computer. And uh, I was on the ground floor of the computer stuff as well. But I like to draw, you know, so it, it wasn't as much fun to do it with the computer. 
tell me one thing, who buys from you today, your pieces today? Are they older people that used to collect or millennials? It's mainly people that are in their late 30s and 40s that grew up watching these shows. And like the thing I always hear is, you drew my childhood. And that's, you know, it's really humbling because, you know, I'm just a guy. And uh, they make me into like this star and I'm not really a star. Uh, how do you see the industry going? Uh, is there room for new artists? Well, I'm hoping that one of the biggest questions I get asked is always, how do I get into the business? And, you know, if you're going to do drawing, it's really, there's not much work. You have to move to the Philippines or Vietnam or something like that. But you could still do, like, storyboard work, uh, layout, uh, but you'd have to probably move to L.A. That's where the main place is. And... Uh, But there's a lot of little studios now that things can be done on computer, and that has made it so people that can't draw still have a chance to get into the business, and uh, you know, good or bad, but but uh, it it's, at least keeps the business alive. And bottom line is, if it's animated, I like it. I don't really care whether it's hand drawn or 3D or whatever. And one day they'll realize that it doesn't matter if it's in 3D; it's how good the story is. That's a very good point. Storytelling trumps technology and all, all the other resources, right? And that's why at some point I'm expecting to see Walt Disney return to classic animation because they found out that some of their movies have bombed and just because they were 3D, but now that's kind of old hat and uh, you got to get back to storytelling. just had the Monkeys Convention, Hall of Fame, and the tour. You're on the road this year, right? Yeah. yeah. What's next? Uh, we're going again on the road in May uh, with the Monkeys. I have solo, uh, a solo tour also coming up. And um, besides that, you know, the same old stuff I've always been doing, uh, TV and films and stuff. Your solo tour uh, is from your CD, Remember, or oh, you have do, something? I do songs off of Remember, yes, on the, on the show, yeah, absolutely. You know, tell Baby Boomers today how great it is that you're still active, you're still rocking, and you're still very, very famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I actually think I'm just outside the uh, Baby Boomer. Yeah. I was born in 45, so I think I'm not Just sure. one year. One year? It's, not, it's 46. 46. You're, you got to keep healthy. I think that's the most important thing, boy. If you don't have your health, you have nothing. Thank you for very cool memories. It was really cool. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. It did, it did. Years of practice. So you're one of the founders of reality TV. Because yeah. <laughs> of course the monkeys were, were a traditional band that got together in someone's garage and grew yeah. up until eventually they had their own reality TV show, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny actually some people think that is, is what happened. I still get people that, that come up and say, so what was it like when you guys got your TV show? For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, it was, it was uh, they were put together and cast in a show. 
It was, it was, a, it was a scripted show, right? So is most modern reality television. Uh, it wasn't a, it was a reality show. It was a sitcom, a, a typical of the time. And the thing that was unique about it was that they, had, they clearly wanted it to be uh, us to play and sing, because you had to, you had to um, uh, act, you had to sing, you had to play an instrument. I played uh, guitar at the time. I played Johnny B. Good was my audition piece. And so they clearly had the idea that it was going to go. You know, the closest thing that's come along since then that I think is, is sort of similar in that sense is uh, Glee. And the Monkees was a television show about an imaginary band that lived in that beach house. And I, to this day, I cannot figure out how this out-of-work band, we never got a job and we had a beach house in Malibu. Wow. <laughs> how did that happen? Uh, but then clearly it, it, it went on and it became, you know, the whole became greater than the sum of its parts. And we did go on the road and we're still going on the road. In fact, I'm late. I can... Oh, oh, we need you here. Now, the characters were not successful. They never... It's a very important part. And I think that had a lot to do with the success because kids could relate to that. Kids that were playing in their garages and in their living rooms and, and, and wanted to be a, in a band. Uh, I think that that helped relate to relate to the monkeys because essentially, yeah, the monkeys we never worked. We were an out of work, you know, uh, band. We were never successful on the television show. We were always trying to be successful, but something would always foil the plot. You know? How did um, the media treat you? How did society treat you? Because you were in a place of transition culturally. It was the only show that you saw long-haired kids on television when they weren't getting arrested. And the, the kids could go to their moms and dads and say, look, mom, uh, the, the monkeys have long hair, uh, and they're not committing crimes against nature and stuff, and get, being put in jail. And Timothy Leary actually wrote a chapter in one of his books, um, uh, The Politics of Ecstasy, and it, it was how the monkeys brought long hair into the living room and made it okay. Damn long We just freaks. wanna be singing. We may come into your town. So, so do you believe in fairy tales and are you a believer? <laughs> it was one of the first shows without a parental figure. You didn't have daddy no Another very really good point. You've done your homework. Aha! Uh -huh. Yes, you have. Another good point, there was a parental figure in the pilot, and uh, he was a, our manager. He ran a record shop, if I'm not mistaken, and he was, you know, my father knows best of the uncle who, you know, it was, because uh, the networks at the time, the, the censors, I mean, it was almost unheard of to see young people in, uh, masters of their own destiny. He was in the pilot, and, um, he was giving advice and guiding, and we'd come in and go, I can't remember his name, and, oh, you know, we have this problem. Well, boys, what you should do. And the show, the original version of the pilot, when they tested it, it tested terrible, <laughs> just terrible. And they were really worried they weren't gonna be able to sell the, sell the show. And uh, they went back in, Bob Rafelson, who created the show uh, and produced it, he went back in and he edited the manager out entirely. 
and he put in those interviews that we did, this part of our interview audition process. He put in some of the audition pieces. And uh, it sold, but you know, it only barely sold. NBC was scared of it because of the long hair and the whole, you know, hippie thing, you know. They were scared of it. So it almost didn't sell. After the show was over, one of the things a lot of the media picked on early on in the show that, that some of you weren't playing live in the television show. And after the show was over, you all went out and this sort of imagined band became a real band and went out and Well, it wasn't after the show. The first tour was right in the middle between the, uh, the first and second season. I mean, we went out within months. And that, that's not quite accurate. Uh, the, 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 the press hit, hit upon the fact that no one plays live in a music video. But on the show, what had, ha what had happened was is that I'd been, I was a guitar player, I got cast as the drummer. Uh, Mike played guitar, Peter played guitar, bass, keyboards, French horn, uh, uh, 10 instruments. David played percussion, he played a little guitar. But what they did, the producers, they said, uh, okay guys, um, here are the songs written by so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so and, and here's the tracks. And they used the same musicians that the Beach Boys used and that uh, the birds, you know, the, the birds, the mamas and papas, many, so many groups at the time uh, used studio musicians. They, they wrote the songs and routined them or something and played them live. But when you were in the studio, you used studio musicians. The story goes, there's not one Beach Boy on Good Vibrations, you know, uh, or Mr. Tambourine Man or all. And, that was just what people did. Um, in the case of the monkeys, we didn't even have the choice. Peter tells the story of going into one of the first recording sessions, carrying his, uh, his bass guitar, and they said, what are you doing here? <laughs> He's like, uh, I, I thought it's... Yeah, so, but, like you say, I mean, it, wasn't, it was only a few months later that we hit the road and the first, uh, the first tour, just the four of us just playing live, those concerts, uh, and our opening act was Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> He's so lucky. <laughs> it was, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. Oh. Foxy lady, we 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 want Davy. We want the Publix coming out. Mickey monkeys. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, I love Mike's stuff, and he loves my stuff. We, you know, it is, they are different, absolutely different, but, you know, vive la différence. Uh, it's one of the things that I think uh, gave the, musically gave, gave the monkeys sort of a unique sound. You can hear a Nesmith tune, and it's so different. Whereas a lot of bands, especially back in those days, they had a sound. And it was usually because there was one person, one guy or one girl, maybe two, but usually just one, who had the musical vision for that band. In the case of the Monkees, we were cast together, and there was four lead singers, essentially. Four distinct styles. Um, but we played on that in our first uh, concert tour. We actually played on that, and Davey would come out and do a song from Broadway. And I came out and did a James Brown tune, and Mike came out and did a Bo Diddley tune. And Peter came out and did a folk tune on, on the five-string banjo. So we actually, uh, we, we uh, you know, uh, encouraged it. 
We used it. Real quick story, when they, they, we went down and saw the drawings and then the, we were shooting on the Columbia lot and they said, the monkey mobile's here, he's finished it, it's coming. And we hear It's coming up the street on the, on the lot, this incredible looking car with a big blower on it and it's towing something. And we go out, we look at it and the car's so cool and the back is like this big kind of little a trailer kind of thing, like a big doghouse, but like a trailer with a roof. And, and we said, what's that? And Dean and, and the producers go over and they go, oh, this is cool. And this is before the show had gone on the air. We're still uh, filming. It hadn't gone on the air. And they pull a lever here and they turn a thing here and they pull this and the roof comes down and it turns into a little stage. And they said, this is the stage you're going to play on when you go around and play supermarket parking lots. Okay, I want to show you a product that I really fell in love with. I first saw with a client of mine, and then as soon as I could, I went out and bought one. It's my Fitbit. You know, it sounds simple, but it's so cool. This is a tracker, okay? And it tracks how many steps I do a day. Also tracks what I eat. It can track my heart rate. I can add apps for, for example, help with my blood sugar levels. I, it helps also track all my sleep, how many minutes a day I'm restless in bed and all things like that. So it's very cool because I'm not a person that likes to exercise very much. And you know, the first target that you have here is to do 10,000 steps a day. That's by the Heart Association that says that you can be a healthier person just by walking 10,000 steps a day. Guess what I found? I did a lot less than that every single day. Actually, some days, not even 2,000. So by wearing this tracker, what's happening now? I feel committed to make those 10,000 steps. I do feel guilty when I don't do them, but it keeps me aware of what's going on in my life when it comes to you know exercising and doing things. Very cool product. You can find it anywhere. Fitbit is really, really a cool thing, and you can get in many colors. I'm here with Mary Lysett Harrison, a clinical herbalist with MillCreek.com, and the topic today is menopause. I know that's not an easy topic for a lot of people, right? Right. Okay. But let's talk menopause. Let's so talk hard, menopause. Because we can relate, can't we? Yeah, we can. <laughs> and I actually have two friends going through hot flashes. Yes. And you know, I can see that there are days their life is a total nightmare. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. it gets in the way of things. It can. And you know, when I talk to women about uh, treating hot flashes, we talk about the fact that menopause isn't just hot flashes. Mm -hmm. It goes over a long period of time, possibly in a woman's life. Uh, it can include mood swings, it can include weight gain, and frankly, I think that there are moments where it can really cut into a woman's self-esteem and her self-confidence. How so? Well, sometimes, for example, she might feel very edgy emotionally because mm -hmm. of her hormones, and maybe she's going to snap at a loved one or get angry about something or overreact to something, and I think deep inside she may be wondering, is this me talking, am I justified for this? or? these my hormones. Mm -hmm. I know women that have had that experience and what they do is they just shrink in their lives. Because they don't know if they're going out too much because of the hormones or right. if it's just them. Right, right. right. So what uh, the beauty of herbs at Milk Creek Herbs is that we have herbs that can help address emotional fragility, hot flashes, mm -hmm. night sweats, yeah. uh, calming up to the nervous system, okay. all in one. And I Actually, I make a formula. This is called my Thrive Tonic. 
I developed this uh, when hormone replacement therapy fell quickly out of favor because it mm -hmm. had more side effects, you remember that time, yes. that were negative. And women showed up at my door at my practice. What do I do now? Yeah. yeah. You know what? They felt horrible because they had stopped cold turkey mm -hmm. and they really felt rotten in their bodies. Mm -hmm. So this is what I learned. I learned, first of all, I want to help them uh, clean up their bodies and maintain their health. So I used high mineral content herbs like dandelion, oat straw, and nettle that are super nutritious mm -hmm. that help flush some of that residue out of their body for them. And then I know a lot of women, they, um, sometimes you wake up and your rings feel a little tight, mm -hmm. you know, and dandelion's a non-potassium leaching mild diuretic, so that was a gentle effect. Mm -hmm. And then turmeric is so helpful you know, your hormones get processed through your liver, so turmeric is liver supportive, it's gently detoxifying, mm -hmm. and uh, that seemed to really help women a lot as well. So there was sort of the mild detoxification that we did long term. But then herbs like black cohosh, chase tree berry, uh, are useful, um, dong kwai perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends, and that's what a practitioner is for. The right. practitioner is should be able to help pick apart what's right for you. Because I think it's important <clears throat> to say that you, you it, herbs are awesome, but you need to be to be using that in a safe way, and you need yes. the right type of advice before you go and just start buying stuff. Right? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. and I, um, I think I came up with this formula because so many women came in and I, I thought, you know, I need a general formula I can just give to them mm -hmm. and say, here, just start here, start here, let's see if we can't get you feeling a little bit better and manage all these uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and it works great. So it's my starter formula. That's a great one for, for hot flashes as well? Yes, okay. yes. And also, I like the fact that women learn how to use this on an as-needed basis. Mm. You know, we have a lot more wisdom in our bodies than we give ourselves credit for. And when a woman is getting relief uh, and she has good health and she's stable and she's getting relief and she stops taking the formula and then she starts having hot flashes again, she makes the connection, oh, I need to be taking that again. Mm -hmm. Now, some women only have the hot flashes and the problems maybe as they sort of continue to cycle or maybe one week a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the beauty of herbs that often you can use a formula or a tincture on an as-needed basis. Okay. And uh, it's not doing any harm to your body either, right? No, yeah. no. Uh, well, these herbs are so old and they have mm -hmm. so much history that uh, I have really learned to trust them. And my recommendation for your viewers <clears throat> to get a, more of a comfort level with this is to uh, maybe attend some classes. I teach a lot of them at Mill Creek Herbs. Or try to get educated a little bit. I think that's where the mm -hmm. real disconnect is in our culture, is that we've lost our connection to this. But I tell my students, you know a lot more than you think you do. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, try to learn a little bit more about it. I think where we get very discouraged is we hear valerian is good for sleep, or black cohosh is good for hot flashes, and we go out and we buy those herbs. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of you have that experience. And then they sit on our kitchen counter, and we kind of forget when we were supposed to take it, what this was for, and $100 later, <laughs> you know. Easily. Yeah, yeah, so the, the beauty of visiting somebody that's skilled and well-educated uh, with this sort of potential therapy uh, is can be of great benefit. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pick it apart and sort it out all yourself. Yes.
Yes, yes that, that's very good information. Yeah. So this one, I'm very interested mm -hmm. in this one. How often, so how do I know and how often I should? I understand that my body will tell me mm -hmm. uh, eventually how it's, but at the beginning. At the beginning, I recommend you take about two squirts of this uh, two to three times a day, and especially morning at night okay. and night. The dosage range is, is pretty broad. I'll just give you a little lesson in tinctures here. We usually uh, ha have a dosage um, of numbers of drops uh, when you get a tincture. We'll say 20 to 50 drops, um, you know, two times a day. So that's usually the information that you would find on the label. Mm -hmm. And often with herbs, when something is acute, when you are really in it and you are, you're not sleeping and you're grumpy and you've, you're having hot flashes and night sweats, um, you really want to use this consistently mm -hmm. three times a day for a week. But then as those conditions hopefully subside, then you can start using it a couple times a day because we're all human and this is what we all do. When we're feeling fine, we forget about it and we forget to take our herbs, but that's okay because if the hot flashes come back or when they do, you can take it again. It doesn't eradicate them forever because your body is going through this process. But herbs are so good at offering comfort to us in conditions that, um, like, like I often say, herbs help shift us in ways we can't shift ourselves. You know, we talk to ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we, we should do this, you know, I shouldn't feel this way. But so what if you have anxiety, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. What if the hot flashes are making you a little bit uncomfortable in your body? Well, let the herbs help you. Mm -hmm. One last question. Yes. So with herbs, do I feel the, the effects right away or is this something that I need to keep taking for a while until I start feeling relief? That's a great question because my tonic, for example, mm -hmm. My Thrive Tonic is meant to be taken every day. This is 16 different herbs uh, that address many health aspects simultaneously in the body. Mm -hmm. You take a tablespoon every day, and over time, it improves energy, yes. digestion. People say they sleep better. Mm -hmm. It has immune-boosting properties as well. So it's really a lovely once-a-day thing to use long-term. Now, the hot, uh, if you have hot flashes, let's say you have a cough, mm -hmm. right? Okay, say you're not sleeping because you have a cough. The right. cold's over, you don't have bronchitis, you don't need antibiotics. Well, you want to take a, the herbs very generously to help stop a cough a lot to see if you can't knock it out, mm -hmm. right? That's when you would use a lot right up front when the situation is acute. Uh, but then, you know, hopefully it would go away and then you would have that formula there to use on an as-needed basis if you felt like you were going to start coughing again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our bodies get into this repetitive mode where we can't stop coughing, right? So what we want to do is quiet that to let the body start to heal and then it won't be so reactive to whatever irritation is causing that. So that applies to, to coughs from colds, allergies, uh, you know, the pollution that we sometimes experience. I think really that before people think I need to go take a pill, mm -hmm. they should look and educate themselves on herbs mm -hmm. to avoid that, right? Because they have a lot of side effects that you don't need. Yes. And you can take the herbs and they don't yes. have side effects or they don't have a lot of side effects. Well, let me just finally say this piece and that is that um, I think where, where we get a little bit unclear with a misconception is we 
the term natural has been so big, yes. right, in the marketplace. Uh -huh. And we think, well, if it's natural, it won't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Or if it's natural, it's from the earth, and it will be gentle. Herbs are very potent medicine, and herbs stimulate a function or cool down a function. So herbs definitely can cause a reaction, just mm -hmm. like pharmaceutical mm -hmm. medication can. So safe and appropriate use of herbs is what I'm all about, and that's what I'm trained in. I went to school with Michael Moore at the Southwest School of Botanical Medicine and was trained in 1998 and have been in herbal practice ever For since. Years, yeah. And I do want to encourage people to consult qualified herbal practitioners. Yes. I am a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild, and that's a pretty hard designation to get. So you really want to make sure that somebody is very qualified in what they can recommend. Yes, never follow blindly anything, yes, right? right? So go look for an expert. Thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm going to take this for my friend. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you. Let's talk about different generations other than our own, right? We don't want to be that center. And because also I noticed a very interesting fact. I read Twitter every now and then. I go there and join the conversation. And I follow things about, of course, baby boomers. And I noticed that a lot of people like to hate baby boomers. And, you know, haters are part of life. They kind of create balance. I'm okay with that. But like the other day, I saw a tweet of a guy saying that uh, boomers had had I destroyed the society or something like that and, and between parentheses he put generation x and guess what generation x is not a baby boomer it's a different generation came after the baby boomers and i see that quite often so people are complaining about the boomers and complaining how we left all this mass but they don't even know who baby boomers are so i'm going to define in the next few episodes all the generations so we are comfortable with all of them and we can enlighten this people that love to hate uh, today, I'm going to start with Generation X. It's the generation that came right after us. So it started in 1965, and it went up to 78, 1978. There are 46 million of them, making them the smallest generation of all the others, okay? Uh, they, they tend to feel loyalty to themselves and their team, not so much to the places, the organizations they work for. And they... They are very politically inactive, meaning they don't vote. They don't talk about the things that should be changing. So, you know, for all the haters out there, when you start complaining that the boomers left a mess, remember that if people don't go to vote, they don't voice, they don't make what's valuable for them be heard, it's not our fault, okay? We cannot have a society of people that are couldn't care less about politics. We need to, to take care of this. And they're very, very comfortable with computer technology as well. They're also known as the silent generation because like I said, they tend to be very quiet, not voicing their opinions and their values. So here's a little bit about the X. I'll tell about the other generations in the next episodes. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. If you did, don't forget to share, thumbs up, rate our channel. These are the type of things that keep us going. And I'll meet you next week at Boomerology Revealed.
This episode of Boomerology Revealed is brought to you by Standard, your best option for mobility products. Be independent with Standard.com.